Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, you and I saw each other in the wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, after we did uh, what we did. Uh, let's, let's <laughs> oh. <laughs> Keep teasing it. Keep teasing it. Don't reveal it yet. Let's tease it. Mm-hmm. And we stood behind microphones staring in each other's eyes and we recorded our voices for the Corner Gas animated series. Totally. We're going to be in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Brent comes up to us with Eric and he says, Eric, this is Jay and Dan. They're, you know, sportscasters. They have a show. He just could not, Eric could not wrap his head around who we were. And when first we he did. said was, who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I recommend, hey, by the way, how cool is this? I'm bringing some content to the table. I don't yes, even do this on my good. own podcast. We have to get to another guest, so you need to get to this oh, sorry, final sorry. event. Mm-hmm. Can I do something with you guys? I, I know you're, you're rushing me out of here, and I, and I get it. Yeah, we've know. been trying for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. All right. All right what's the, stop rushing me. There's a long goodbye. Mm-hmm. Art actually just called back. He's on the line. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I fell in the pond. Oh, how did that happen? You're listening to the Jay and Dan podcast. Pretty good podcast, I have to say. I don't think there's a player, honestly, and I'm not just saying this to get out of the question, because I'll say this on the air, and we're on the air right now. I don't think anybody had an easier time in sports, hockey specifically, than me. I went really? To, I went to the University of Vermont the year after the hazing scandal. So they shut their season down in November for a full season because of hazing party that went wrong so right. i walked in the following year as a freshman and they weren't even allowed to call us freshmen we were right. like first year student athletes you know i've had great coaches all along had some hard coaches but nothing too abusive and crazy i had a pretty good path and like even um like the years like the whole time you were in chicago like it was pretty like you didn't have anything where you saw something and you thought jesus christ like no no, no nothing joel was he knows how to coach. Yeah. He knows how to get the most like out he's of you. An inten- He's he intense. Worked, but I was going to say, he worked here for a while, and I was like, man, he's an intense guy. I mean, there's, he's, I'm sure he's been mic'd up and said a bunch of things that he'd <laughs> probably get in trouble for if you release it in the right way, but I don't think too many guys took him personal when right. he was getting fired up on the bench. You know? Right. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to defend him. He's just, once you get to play for him and hang around him, you figure him out pretty quick. Right. He's a good coach. Right. And who else did you have? Before that was Dennis Savard. Wow, Denny. Yeah, shortly. Wow. He didn't have much of a chance. They had Joel Quenville as the pro scout right. in training camp. You know, <laughs> Denny lasted four games that year and then got fired. Uh, Trent Yanni before that. Ken Hitchcock was probably as old school and verbal as I ever had. But but can we talk about Hitch a little bit? Like yeah. Even Hitch, you think of Hitch like he was, like you think he's an intense guy, a mm-hmm. tough guy. But you, you're not hearing his name brought up nope. at this point. You're not. He would... He would let you have it if you didn't play the system or the structure or did something wrong. But at the same time, I've seen players give it back to Hitch, and there's no negative response from Hitch on that side. So it goes both ways. It was just kind of the way things were done, I would have to say. If a coach treats you like an adult, then I think you're fine. Right. Because then there's a back and forth. Yes. I agree. As simple as that. I agree. Has the podcast started? Yeah, let's just, this is it. We're rolling, right? Yeah. Hey, Good start. Good it, intro. It, um, that was a fun should we, intro. Should we play the music? Yes. We kind of had a false start to the podcast. Not a false start. I uh, think we should have just premature, kept going. A premature start. Now, I was enjoying that. I want to get back to 
the coaching thing, because I know Patrick's here just to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Patty Sharp's our guest. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Happy great, to be here. Great to have you. This here. is a rarity. We never usually start with the guests, so this is like... Uh, this is a means groundbreaking. Big, this means you're a big deal. Yeah, well, you guys are going to learn pretty quick. It's always <laughs> always about me, and I get what I want. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, going back to uh, 2014, we didn't see you there, but we were all in Sochi together. First of all, tell us about that experience yeah, for you. That's I, pretty wild. You could have told me that we were in, in Mexico, and, yes. and I wouldn't have had any other ideas. I mean, Sochi was basically a man-made whole setting, right? Yes, Campus, right. from yes, the dorms yeah. to the training facilities, to the restaurants, the cafeteria, you name it. It was just put there in a 60 degree, 65 degree warm weather climate. And they yeah. said we were in Russia. I didn't see much, uh, <laughs> I didn't see much Russian culture at all. And, and, there. and there was all talk before we went of the wild dogs. The dogs were nice. Yeah. they yeah. were. Well, they were strays, yeah. but it was like when we were kids, like strays would just be all over the, like, that's what they were. They were friendly. They were sweet. You'd see them there were chickens living next to our hotel. Yeah, it was there, no big deal. There was so much negative I know. publicity yeah. going before into Before every Olympics though, before every Olympics that happens. Yeah. My parents didn't even go. I went by myself. Wow. My wife stayed home. She was pregnant. She had things going on, so she didn't want to travel. Uh, my parents were like, yeah, we're just going to catch it on TV. <laughs> we'll watch it at home. Um, and that was it. I went over with Team Canada, Hockey Canada, and had a great two or three weeks, however long it was. And uh, you guys, man, that I'll never forget watching that gold medal game. Like, it was just dominance from start. Was, like, that was an amazing was a clinic. Team. Yeah, it was dominance defensively, too. Yeah. Not the normal offensive juggernaut that you see in some of those tournaments it was like you can count on one hand the number of mistakes that were made by team canada in that tournament forget goals against i mean there was probably only what three or four goals i I'm, i shouldn't throw numbers out there i should know the exact number but nobody was scoring on carry price and you know when he did get tested with a few shots it was like not a chance it was a fun team to watch and be a part of i can't believe i was there and was Mike Babcock the coach of that hockey Mike team? Mike Babcock was the coach. <laughs> should we open that can of worms? Should we open that can of worms? You guys are like, professionals. I feel like you got the uh, the sanitized Babcock maybe a little bit. I On did. his best behavior. The uh, the truncated version right. of Babcock? Right. Yeah, it was just a two, three-week tournament. We had him at the orientation camps as well. Definitely has a presence about him. Uh on point as far as his hockey knowledge. He had that team in line, ready to play, ready to compete. That was my experience with him. I mean, it's kind of a a difficult tournament to judge a coach in. It's the Olympic Games. We're Team Canada. you got a collection of all-star players there to do a job, and guys are going to do it whether you guys are the coach or Mike Babcock's the coach. So from that standpoint, it's like, you know, I don't know what what could he have done different to motivate the guys, but yeah, it's not uh, like you don't want to use the word figurehead, but you're just looking for someone like you said with the knowledge that you guys will respect, mm-hmm. and then a system will be put in place. But ultimately, the talent is going to shine through anyway. Right. And I'm not undermining what those coaches did yeah. for Hockey Canada. I mean, right from the staff that picked the team, uh, Doug Armstrong, Steve Eisenman, all those guys that put it together. You know, Hitch was on that coaching staff, Lindy Ruff, Claude Julien. And Babcock, I mean, they did a good job of putting players in the right position, monitoring the tournament. Uh, I really have no complaints with with how I was treated over there and came back with a gold medal. So what are you going to say? Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty Um, wild. I floated a question to a a friend that's a former NHLer over the weekend. I was watching the Leaf game, had a few cocktails, and I'm like, hey, what would happen if you guys just played without a coach? And his response was, that would be awesome. I'm like, wouldn't it be chaos? He's like, no, you could do it. 
Could you play without a coach? Uh, I don't think so. You kind of <laughs> need somebody back there calling the shots, don't you? I mean, you I could, don't know. Do you? You got to call lines. I mean, yeah. Patrick Kane would never come off the ice if there was no coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see where you're going. Uh, the players of today's game, they know their roles. They know their jobs. You're seeing more and more skill take over instead of systems and structure. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just old school. I came up in a different era. Uh, not to sound like a, a dinosaur, but uh, the game was different when I came up, and I'm still kind of leaning towards that structure plays out. I know there's right. teams going a different direction, trying to you know, emphasize that speed and skill, and let's play aggressive, and let's let our, our true skill shine through, but look at the winning teams in the, yeah. in the last handful of years. Not to say that that won't change in the short future, but... It's all those big, strong, physical, defense-first teams that are winning. I watched a men's league game the other night. Uh, there was no high there. scoring, no coaches. Okay. It was like 11-8. All right, so we got two score. different opinions. You have a guy who played in the league for many years and won three Stanley Cups, and you have Dan's opinion. Who knows who's right? We don't know. Everybody has a say. Uh, we weren't winning three Stanley Cups without Joel Quenville, right. so let's, let's put it that way. Well, uh, I can't believe that how you said like he, like he was not like a stern guy. Well, not, maybe he was stern, but... Because he's another guy that terrifies me. I look at him <laughs> yep. like if I saw him in a hallway, I'd like, cringe. He's got you fooled. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the mustache. <laughs> he's a big teddy bear. It's the stern look. It's the uh, the yelling at the refs, the animation on the bench. But you know, he's a he's a great man, uh, a good mentor. Man, he got the best out of a lot of players in that team, and That's awesome. I love playing for him. And an interesting mix of personalities you guys had, right? Like to bring it all together, like like. You had uh, a Taves who is so kind of stoic and quiet, and then you had, you know, like you had a, you guys had an incredible run there. Yeah, it was some incredible players. It was a perfect storm. A timing, uh, uh, 2008, 2009, you got 21 year old Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. You got uh, Marion Hosta joining the team at some point, 2009. I think Keith and Seabrook are two of the best shutdown defensemen in the game. Uh, we're trading for players like Ladd and Versteeg. I came over in a trade from Philadelphia. Nicholas Yarmelson has been a, a warrior for the Blackhawks. All of a sudden, you get a guy like Quenville behind the bench to kind of tie it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, couple the fact that we've got our games on television in Chicago. 22,000 people are coming to the United Center to watch us play. Everywhere you look in the city, there's a Hawks jersey or a flag or a logo. It was just like confidence from the fan base into the team. Uh, and we just started winning, and you know, what a time to be a Blackhawk. I consider myself pretty lucky. And yeah. the best anthem experience in sports. Yeah, except you know, I'm starting to think that that might be a negative for the Hawks because those guys see it 41 times a year. Yeah, it's the right. other team that's coming in. Getting yeah, all good that's a very game, good so. point. I never thought about that. I never thought about that. So did you grow up in Winnipeg? I know you are born in Winnipeg. No, I was, Winnipeg? you guys did your research for this one, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I was born in Winnipeg. I was born in there. the peg. Yeah, and then we moved to uh, Calgary. Okay. In the 80s when I was like one what a or two time. years old. Yep, great uh, time. Mortgage rates, 17, 18%. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> so Flames fan? Olympic <laughs> Games. Right. Flames fan growing Flames up? Cup in 89. We yeah. were there for it. I was a Flames fan. I like Theo Fleury, but my favorite player was Hawk and Luke. Hawk and Luke. Yes, Number the Jofa. Incredible. Yeah. Yes. He was awesome. Amazing. Every time he touched the puck, they'd get Luke. <laughs> so in road hockey, people must have fought to be Mike Vernon and Theo Fleury. Vernon was a big one, too. Yeah. yeah. Theo Fleury was huge. I Joel mean, they Auto, all the good face-off guys out there. Great wanted names to be on that team. Poplinski, <laughs> yeah. right? Pepper. Yeah, they were. They were fun.
on. Yeah, Hon- you think of the, that team, Patrick. Like the fact that the Oilers were that great at the time. It was. I was. I don't want to say it was a waste of talent, but that team should have won five cups on their own. Tell me about it. They had a good team every single year. Probably, you know, worthy of getting to that final four, maybe a few cup finals. Yeah. And they just kept getting spanked by the Oilers time and time again. They got their cup though, and it was awesome. Yep. It yeah, was awesome. They did. And everybody they did. beats up the Saddle Dome. I think that's the coolest rink in the league. We I love- discussed this before. The new rink needs to be shaped like something like a saddle, not a saddle or like a boot. Like maybe a cowboy hat or something. Like it or can't a boot? just be right. a normal arena. A cowboy right? hat, a boot. <laughs> yeah, a cowboy hat would be nice. The big cowboy hat, the big yeah. sombrero, right? You have it in the, in, right in the middle of downtown. Everyone's like, because the Saddle Dome's so iconic. It's such an iconic architectural figure in the city. You can't go back to a plain rink. I'm with you. you. I'm with you. And you get on the inside of it and it's got that feel, that old school feel yeah. that you're in a hockey rink instead of these. You know, awesome facilities Absolutely. and stadiums. That's that right, because everyone built. says you're close to the ice yeah. at the Saddle Dome. Yeah, you can call out and say hi to your parents <laughs> in the stands. They're right there. It's like minor hockey. I love and, that. And it survived two that. floods. Two floods, still kicking. You know, still going. It's not going still anywhere. Going. So, so, how old, so how old were you when the Olympics were there? I was uh, born in 81. Olympics were 88. So wow. do you remember that at all? I do. We went to the ski jumping. Um, wow. Eddie the Eagle. Eddie I Eagle. was there for Eddie the no Eagle. Way. What? So I'm wow. told. So I'm told. I, was there. I don't really remember much. Saw some bobsled, went to a few international games, I think Finland versus Sweden or Team USA. Um, Yeah, I remember that. And then we moved to Thunder Bay when... 1990, and that's where right. my home's been ever mm, right, since. Right, right. Mm. The, sleeping, the sleeping with giant. All, with the all the fins. Giant. All yes. the fins. The we just learned that from uh, Timu. Timu was just on, and he said he was on a book tour, and he came here, and then he was going to Thunder Bay. He's like, well, there's all these fins there. I, I tell people all the time, the largest Finnish population outside of the country of Finland is in Thunder Bay. How does so are there happen? Finnish restaurants there? I don't even know there? if that's true. I just say it that's all the time. That's what Timu said. And if Timu says it, it's If he went there true. for a book tour, <laughs> it's true. It's There's a lot of Finns true. there if Timu's showing up. And a lot of stalls. A lot of stalls. Yes, yes. Tons <laughs> of stalls. Good family, great family, good people. It is a little hockey factory. It's it a is hit, kind It's of. not even hidden anymore. No, it's uh, impressive. You start doing some math there. There's 100,000 people in the town. And in my age group, give or take a handful of years, there's four Stahl brothers yeah. that have all played professional hockey, two Pyatts, right? Tommy and yeah. Taylor Pyatt, the Johnson family with Greg Johnson, Ryan Johnson, Alex Ald is a goaltender, Carter Hutton, Mackenzie Blackwood, the goaltender wow. for Trevor Latowski. Latowski was a big one. I trained with him growing up. Uh, I'm forgetting. He's a coach now, isn't what he? What is he happening is. in Thunder Bay? I know. It's, it's all that Finnish food. And maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the isolation, because you feel isolated. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, you're up there. eight or ten hour drive to the next closest city. And yeah. It's, uh, you're by yourself up there. But it was a great place to grow up. Awesome community. And I love bringing the cup back there a couple of times. And then you were drafted by the Flyers, right? Correct. So how so how did it work with Philadelphia? You like you were there. How, how did it start off for you there? It was a great setup for me. I, I told you before the show. I might even have said it on the show. I can't remember now at this point. But I had such a great run in my pro career. It was like never had a bad day as far as how my career worked out. I get to Philadelphia and it's like, I don't have to play in the minors in in a city in upstate New York. This team is in Philadelphia. So I got to stay in a little apartment condo for all three years I was there. I went up and down, you know, a lot, a ton of transactions because all you had to do was just go down the hallway and and you're with the big team. (laughs) Right. You know, some days I'd practice with the Flyers and go, you know, play with the Phantoms later on that night. Had a great experience, won a championship there. Uh, and then moved on to Chicago shortly after that. Right. Who was your coach, uh, first coach of the Flyers? It was John Stevens in the minors and Ken Hitchcock 
It was Hitchcock. The, the, the NHL. You guys getting back on this coaching thing? Again? And then, no, 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 no. I just don't want to. I want to get into your head a little bit about okay. your career. And then when you went to Dallas, who were you coached by? Were you coached by Lindy though? Lindy, Lindy yeah, he was the head coach okay. there. His final yeah. two years there. He, see, Lindy seems like he'd be pretty awesome. Another great man. Yeah. Uh, he can get fired up at times. He can get angry and, uh, and ask Darcy off. Tucker about that. He knows. Oh, right. That yeah. was the old Buffalo the definition Toronto. of the joke. Yeah, that yeah. was a joke. Yeah, but Lindy was great. He was very nice to me. Treated me with a ton of respect coming from Chicago, and that was a tough time for me to go to a new team. Yeah, I just spent a decade with the Blackhawks. We went from a joke, to use Lindy's words, in the league to you know three cups in. Six seasons, and all of a sudden, I'm 35 years old, packing up the family, going down to Texas to start a new gig for two years. So I kind of knew it was a short-term thing, and if I have any regrets in my career, I wish I would have played better for the Stars in those two years. But, I mean, I was getting old and beat up and had one foot out the well, door. Well, you played right? 939 games. That's a lot of hockey. Yeah. It wasn't that, so that, much those 939. It was more the 140 in the playoffs. in the playoffs, whatever yeah. that number is, that seems to take a toll on you after a while. Right. And then when you, because you have uh, everything, you've got the looks, you've got the voice, yeah. you've got it all. <laughs> the voice. Did everybody, uh, when did people start putting it in your head, like, you should get into broadcasting when you're done? Uh, not until it was over, really. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I mean, I heard that maybe there'd be an opportunity with NBC as that season was ending, and I, I consider myself lucky to be with the Hawks because... During the heyday of all those teams, we had cameras in the room all the time, whether it was the Winter Classic build-up when they follow you around day-to-day. We played in a lot of All-Star games and, and playoff games. It seemed like the media attention was huge in Chicago. And then connecting with our fan base with a bunch of stuff that we did for websites and, and local media, I think it prepared me well for life after hockey. And I didn't really have the plan of going into broadcasting or being on TV, but it was the first opportunity that popped up once my career was over and I felt like I needed to stay busy. I didn't get, right. get into trouble if I just decided to be a dad and hang around the house all day. So <laughs> what, yeah, what, because what, what, what kind of trouble? <laughs> <laughs> because that's probably what happens to a lot of people. Cause you retire and you're like, I don't have to train. I have to be the ranks. So you're like, eh, crack a pint oh, at like oh, two. Yeah. Next and then you're you like, know, yeah, we yeah. talk about you're assistant, falling in the pool. NHL assistant coaches. Our theory is just that, they just want to get out of the house. Like, that's the theory. Like, long-time assistant coaches who don't want to be head coaches are just, they need something to do. Like, they got to do something, right? <laughs> I, I can't argue with you. They're lifers is right. what they are. Yes. And they right. got to be with the fellas. They got to be around the yeah. rink. They got to be watching video. It's, uh, it becomes a part of your life. And I've missed that part of it, to be honest with you. It's fun being a player in the room. You're with 20 of your best friends traveling around the world. But towards the end, it stopped being fun and it started to be a job. And hmm. Uh, I I knew it was time to pack it in. When Can you went back to Chicago, did you yeah, even still then, feel that way? Yeah, even, even like the last two three years, it right. just it wasn't. I used to be hockey twenty four hours a day, literally. Yeah. It was all about hockey for me. And then things kind of change as you get older. You have family, little girls on the way, mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe you're not so much twenty four hours hockey anymore. And I got pretty lucky with some of the teams I played on, so it wasn't like I was chasing that Stanley Cup with a desire to be in the playoffs. Year after year, it was almost like I knew the work and effort and what it takes physically and mentally to get into those playoffs and what it does. And it was like I just didn't want to pay the price anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, can you help us out with something? Because uh, we've discussed this before, and I'm older now. And if I take a, a long flight and then come back like in a weekend, 
it kicks the shit out of me. Do you have a tip on how, because you've, I can't even, you can't even count on me planes you've been on. Mm-hmm. How do you combat it? I got a great tip for you. Okay. Oh, nice. What you want to do when you're traveling a lot is you want to fly private. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. So if you can't do that, like <laughs> it, it kicks it kicks the shit out of you either way. Even if you're flying private, the time zones get you. You wake up the next morning and you're not even sore yet from the previous game. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a day or two to kick in, and uh, it wears on you definitely. But I'm making it sound like the NHL was a bad thing. It's pretty sweet. You're staying in great hotels, flying oh, on yeah. awesome planes, eating good food wearing your PJs on all these flights, like it's life <laughs> yeah, is good. Yeah. And uh, I was very lucky to do it for 15 years. Okay, we got to get to rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. Uh, this so is going to be a blast. We pick, oh, uh, we pick former teammates of yours and okay. just give us a little uh, story or just one word, whatever oh, you yeah, want. Yeah, uh, either way. Let's start with uh, Mark Recchi. The wrecking ball. <laughs> okay, we, uh, we have the same agent, at least we did, when we were playing in Philadelphia together, and he kind of always looked out for me in that regard. Um, I later learned that he loved to have a few beers after most of his games. I you know, loved, the, loved the sauce a little bit, but it was, <laughs> that was pretty common with that uh, Philadelphia Flyers team that I played on. I, I saw Mark Recchi once walking through a rink, and it looked like an 80-year-old man from behind because oh. he has, like, a limp and, like... Yeah, he walks funny. He runs funny on the treadmill. That's a memory I have from him walking into the skate zone in Philadelphia. There's Mark Recchi, the legendary wrecking ball, working out, getting ready for the season. I'm 20 years old. He's flying on the treadmill. Uh, Great shape. And you look at his stats. That's what I want people to do listening right now. Google Mark Recchi's stats. Incredible numbers. Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Uh, How about uh, the legend that is Peter Nedved? I never got to play with Nedved, I don't think. Okay. I heard some great stories about him. No, he wasn't. Was he? (laughs) Yeah. No, he was not. Yeah, in Philly. I think I was gone by then. Or maybe... I think I got Maybe tra- you got or think, ships passing. Or maybe you were in... With I got Panthers. traded in December, and I think he joined the Flyers after that. All right, we got bad information. Uh, okay, uh, Duncan Keith. Uh, one of my best friends. We played defense together in 2010 on the power play. All year long, doing the same thing. I'd run the back door. He'd pass it to Kane. Kane would pass it to Taves, hit me back door for a goal. San Jose, game four, conference finals. We switched sides for some reason. And Marlowe clears the puck, the puck slap shot down the ice, takes out 12 of his teeth. Wow. I probably should have been standing in the position that he was standing in. Wow. So Dunks took that one for, for the team. Oh, man. <laughs> Came uh, back and set up the game-winning goal, by the way. By the way, I looked at Recchi's stats. His last year, Junior, scored 61 in 62 Cam games loops. in Kamloops. Yeah. Uh, he finished with uh, 1,652 games played. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Yeah, that's insane. Uh, and 1,533 points. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, he's okay. A few Stanley Cups along the way with different teams, too. Uh, How about a friend of the uh, podcast, Brian Bickle? Oh, yeah, Bixie boy. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we begin with Bix? (laughs) (laughs) We could tell the story the time that he went in to get car insurance and came out with life insurance. (laughs) 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 We could... We could tell the story when he fell asleep on the bench and he, and he woke up, literally woke up and saw his two line mates on the ice killing a penalty. Let me, let me finish the story. So he jumps the bench, goes into the play and checks the guy on the other team. And the ref puts his hand up for too many men. While he was sleeping, they were killing a penalty. So it was too many men on the ice. We could tell that story. Uh, that's, oh, that's I mean, great. we could be here all day okay. talking about Bix, but he's, oh, a, he's a beauty, a he real is. beauty. Uh, Jonathan Taves. Oh, where do I go with Jonathan Taves? Probably not as uh, serious as everybody seems to think he is. He's mm-hmm. got a little bit of a fun side to him. 
always thinking, always talking to people, trying to get the most out of life. Does that sound too corny? Like he's no. always like trying to be the best at everything in a good, positive way. So right. true leader. Wait, wait, when you first met him or like, what was your first impression of him? Because obviously there was a lot of hype about him coming to the well, Hawks. I was happy that he was coming to the Hawks. I knew he was a good player and we needed players at the time. And you'd always hear about how this is the future captain of the Blackhawks. Right. Which is crazy. Like, he's just it? been drafted. Yeah. Right? So we had Brent Seabrook on the right. team. Duncan Keith was there. I mean, I wore a letter for a lot of years. I'm like, okay, I guess we're not going to be the captain. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, but then you meet Taser and you're like, okay, I get it now. This is, this is our guy. This is going to be our captain. Just yeah. put the C on him and let's go get some things done. Nice. How about Dustin Bufflin? Yeah, Buff. I mean, probably... Uh, the player that I get asked most about really? of all my teammates in the NHL is, is Big Buff. Uh, just marches to the beat of his own drum. We lost him after that first Stanley Cup for about 48 hours. <laughs> he, he just went missing. We had a, a team event at Wrigley Field. It was Sox versus Cubs. We got to go on the field with the Stanley Cup. Great moment in Blackhawks history, the sh- city of Chicago. No Dustin Bufflin. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't find him after one of the parties. but um, Maybe he was sleeping on the bench. Yeah, no, that, yeah maybe. <laughs> but Buff, uh, a unique talent, can, can take over a game if he wants to. Do you, yeah. uh, not to put you on the spot, but what do you make of this whole situation now with him? Like, it's, it's so... Uh, with Buff? Yeah, with the, with the Jets and the ankle and everything. If anybody was going to... I mean, the news that came out in September, how about how Buff just didn't feel like coming yeah, back? Yeah, yeah. I... I, I Personally, don't have any inside information. I sent Buff a message checking in on him when I yeah. heard the news, and I expected no response, and I got no response. That's Buff for you. He's, he's private. He's tucked away. He doesn't spend a lot of time on his phone. So I'm not really breaking news here. But if, if that story was going to break on any one of my former teammates, Buff would be the guy that would just say, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm not going to show up to camp for whatever reason it is. Yeah. I hope it's not serious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, crazy situation. I, I don't know what's going on with Buff, but it didn't surprise me that he didn't uh, show up to training camp. Okay. Uh, how about Corey Crawford, a guy you don't hear a lot about? No, you don't. And very quiet, very reserved. Probably an underrated goaltender for his generation. Yes, I would say so. Like you know, he yeah. was in the mix there for a lot of years yeah. as um, Team Canada. Yeah. 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 I blame like the Taves and Kane uh, factor for Corey Crawford's underrated career. You mm-hmm. know, everybody. Praises Kane and Taves, rightfully so. They're unbelievable, legendary players. But Corey Crawford's a goaltender that won two Stanley Cups. And and the pressure in those situations is pretty great, and he did it. He eventually got on a Team Canada at the World Cup. So I would say he's as underrated as it gets. And what he's come back from now is even more remarkable. Tons of injuries. Uh, Every time a puck gets shot up high, you you hope it's not going to hit him in the helmet. And uh, he's having a good year this year, too. Both those goalies in Chicago are playing real well. But Brian Campbell... Yeah, soup dog. <laughs> awesome guy. Uh, great golfer now. He's applied his work ethic in hockey to golf, and he's lowered his handicap by about eight or ten strokes since he's retired. He's spending a lot of time on the golf course. He's working with uh, the management in Chicago, married a girl from Chicago, and set up shop. Uh, he's a lifer there in Chicago, but always puts a smile on your face, soup dog. And when he signed with the Hawks, that was kind of like the turning point so to speak, no free agents were coming to Chicago right. back when Soup Dog signed, and he signed that big contract, and uh, here go the Hawks. Hmm. Uh, Steve Monador. Steve Monador, smart guy. Always mm-hmm. had something to say, always had a strong opinion on whatever was being talked about in the locker room. Uh, tragic ending mm-hmm. to Monty's life. It was during that season where it just seemed like 
it was adversity around every corner and dealing with that was something that uh, a lot of players in our team took to heart. Um, Ray Emery is in that boat as well. Yeah. I mean, these are things that life is moving pretty fast for a lot of the Blackhawks between 2010 and 2015. You know, you got so many guys going to the Olympic Games, World Championships, All-Star Games, winning Stanley Cups, getting married, having kids, and then all of a sudden you're losing friends like Steve Montador. That, uh, that was a real tough part of, of the season in life for a lot of people in Chicago. Yeah, he was a good guy. Um, Patty Kane. Uh, <laughs> he likes to be on the ice a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> continues to get better even at the age that he's at. Keeps setting career numbers. Probably as the same way I talk about Taves not being as serious. That reputation is a little different as well with Patrick Kane. He's not the uh, the party animal that everybody seems to want to portray him as. He's a is a guy that cares so much about the game of hockey. I mentioned how I was hockey twenty four hours a day. Kaner is hockey twenty four hours a day. Uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, one of my best friends that I played with in Chicago. And now we moved uh, the last two from Dallas, Jason Spezza. Oh, Spezza. Yeah, we first, can't get enough of this. I know you guys know. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Right? It's the laugh. It's the yeah, best thing. So good. We got just, it? Is he always in a good mood? He is. He's a good guy. Great mood. Uh, I played kind of head-to-head with Spezza for a big part of my career. He started in Binghamton. I was in Philadelphia. That's a divisional rivalry. He was winning scoring races, was a great player. We fought each other once Whoa. upon a time in that Philly Ottawa. Let's hear about brawl. that. What's that? You're sworn up. You're not a <laughs> there, we <go. laughs> there we go. You're you're not fighters. No. You're squaring up. <laughs> What's, are you almost laughing at that point? Like, I feel like I would just start laughing. I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. It was that game in Philadelphia where we set the record for penalty minutes or something like oh, that, and wow. everybody's fighting. There's right. line brawl after line brawl, and I'm looking around thinking, like, I'm in Philadelphia. i got to get involved somehow. I'm yeah. the young guy here. I looked over, and... I saw Spez wearing number 39. I'm thinking like, all right, that's my guy. He doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing either in a fight. That'll be a good one. And uh, Claude Lapointe was taking the face off. I actually said, Lappy, let me take the face off. And I lined up against Spez. I was like, Spez, we're going. And we just slapped each other a few times, and that was the That's end of it. so funny. Yeah. Someone said about him that out of all the players playing now, that if you could pick one who'd be a future GM, yeah. it would be him. Do I would agree, agree with, with that. that? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, he's got a real... Uh, Sharp hockey mind. He knows what he's talking about. He knows everybody in the game. Got a great reputation. Uh, good teammate for sure. Wow. Was Can't he wait. the last to use a wooden stick? I think he claims that it's that's the, that's the truth. Heard. Him and uh, Paul Pauly Stastny, I think, had a wooden one for a while. But yeah, it took Spez a long time to switch into the one piece, and he's constantly tinkering with his stick, shaving down different parts of it, and uh, <laughs> he, he uses a lot of. Should we just sticks. do another whole podcast on Spets? Yes, <laughs> we need Spets in here. <laughs> yes. um, really quickly, we should talk about why you're here. Okay, uh, why are you here? Oh, we add one more. Add one more. Okay, we're just getting close on time here. That's Tyler Sagan. Sagan. <laughs> You'll never never see Seggy wear a helmet in warm ups. That's a given. <laughs> the flow. He's gotta he's gotta show that off a little bit. He wears no shirt under his hockey equipment and he always tends to like wipe his face with the front of his oh, jersey. Right. Just, you know, I yeah. think like oh, yeah. it's an attempt to kind of show off the abs. Sorry, Seggy, if it's not true, but that's yeah. just what I see. That's uh, he knows his core audience. I think. <laughs> um, so you're here uh, billeting. This is interesting yeah. to me, what, you, what you're here for, and a little Airbnb, Airbnb as well. I am. Well, we live in Chicago, but this is an opportunity for me to come to Toronto and kind of do the media tour and get the word out on behalf of Airbnb about 
We call it National Billet Day today, and Airbnb is going to donate $25,000 to the, the GTHL to try to help kickstart the, the future of some other young hockey player's career and journey to the NHL. And how that ties into billeting, well, it's basically the same thing. You're right. home sharing, you're opening up your doors to a guest, you're welcoming them to your life, your home, your areas, you share common areas. And I can only speak about my billet experience. It was as good as it gets. At 15, I moved away, went to Ottawa lived with the Weber family. They took care of me, my brother, um, brought us into their home uh, and treated us like their own children. And I got kids of my own. I can only imagine sending them away to chase their dream at a young age. So it's a cool thing that I've been able to do today, just kind of bounce around Toronto and promote Airbnb and uh, kind of remind people how important it is to to be good Canadians, really, right? Open yeah, up the doors. Absolutely. And billeting yeah. is a huge, uh, important part of, of every hockey player's journey. 100%. Did you have any teammates that had uh, billets that were bad cooks where you're like, oh, man, I'm just, just dying for a good meal. Can I come over to your house? Good meal. Most of my buddies had good billet experiences. One guy told a story about how he was in Saskatchewan and the billet mom, who's a single mom, would lock the fridge on him. And she was just clearly in it for the wrong reasons. She right, wanted to get yeah. the paycheck from the yeah, junior team. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't last very long there. But that's, that's uh, given billeting a bad reputation, I would say 99% <laughs> of the billets <laughs> oh, across yeah, Canada they're awesome. are awesome. top notch. Now, even if, even if they're bad cooks, they're trying their asses off. They're <laughs> yeah. like, that's not how to cook. Well, listen, we gotta we got to go over and do the TV show now. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Patrick, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks this for is having awesome. me. Big fan really upset about Peter Nedved. Yeah. yeah. I really blew it on Man, that maybe one. Maybe we could bring Patrick and Peter together on the show sometime, and they could meet. And we just sit sit them in chairs and just put the camera on them. <laughs> That's good, uh, good podcasting. <laughs> good right podcasting. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, we'll see you next week. we got Terry David Mulligan next week. Yes. Talking a little wine and some pop culture. I can't believe he was at the Last Waltz concert. That's, we're going to talk a lot about it. at the that. concert. It's you unreal. know the, the band's last waltz? It's crazy. Okay, thanks thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, see ya. I like to get the... Ah! What did you do? Oh, my God. No way. Was oh, that real? Oh, my God. We got to use that as a drop. They're going home.
This is the Jay and Dan Podcast. James Duffy presents the Rubber Boots Podcast. So we're sitting down at our table. The, the waiter comes up and he's like profusely sweating. <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us. He goes, Hello, I am not well. I'm very ill. <laughs> You ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.